Welcome to What the Bump, a birth story podcast. My name is Jen. I am a former labor and delivery nurse who stepped away from bedside nursing after having two babies of my own to become a full-time birth doula. This podcast is where you come to hear birth stories of all different kinds. I believe every birth story is unique. Every birth story deserves to be told and deserves to be heard. So this is a platform where we do just that. Anybody and everybody is welcome to come on the podcast to share their birth story. Even if you think your birth was boring or not very interesting, there's always something that somebody else can learn from it. So through this, I hope that we learn and we grow together. Welcome to What the Bump. Today we have Darby coming on the podcast to share a little bit about both of her birth stories and how that has propelled her into the work that she now does today. So I'm excited to have you and to hear from you and to hear your story. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jen. I've listened to your podcast for, gosh, I don't even know how long now. And it's just such an honor to be here and be sharing my story. Oh, you're so sweet. Okay, well, tell us about who you are. Yeah, so my name's Darby Swan. I am am a mama of two. Um, I have a little girl and a little boy, a three-year-old and a two-year-old. Don't ask me what possessed me to have them that close together. <laughs> um, so I am busy all the time. Um, my husband and I live in Georgetown, Kentucky, um, and we are actually in the process of building a house. So on top of a mama and having my own business, I also added general contractor to my yeah. line of work. <laughs> Interior designer, general contractor. Yeah. You know, as mamas, we wear, we wear so many hats. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so true. Well, that's got to be like fun though and exciting building a house, I'm sure. It is. And I mean, in today's world, I, it's hit or miss. <laughs> yes, right. Totally. Well, that's awesome. Um, And you, you have two little ones and they're born in 2020 and 2021. So like how far apart are they? Because I mean, I have two that are very close, but they still were 2021 and 2023. Yeah. So they're 19, yeah, okay. 19 months apart. Um, my daughter was born in the very beginning of 2020. So Got January it. of 2020 before everything happened with the world. <laughs> and then my son was in August of 2021. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yes. That's mine are, gosh, nobody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like 20. 20 months apart. So I'm right there with you. Um, except mine are still younger, five months and two. So um, yeah. you've already been through the stages that I'm in right now. It's fun, but it keeps you on your toes. It's a oh, lot of work. Sure does. Yeah, absolutely. Every day is something new. Absolutely. Okay. So let's kind of go through then your first birth story. You kind of already mentioned, you know, it was kind of before the world fell into chaos. So take us through your first birth and then we can kind of segue that into how that, you know, impacted or maybe changed your second birth as well. Yeah, absolutely. So with my daughter, her name's Sophia, um, we found out we actually moved um, states. We kind of did a cross country move right before we found out we were pregnant. So we moved, got everything settled. And then like two or three months later, we're pregnant. <laughs> um, so we were nine ish hours away from family. We hadn't really made roots yet, made friends. And here we were expecting a sweet little one, which was kind of the plan all along, but you know, God has a sense of humor and he's like, we're just going to throw it all together at one time. Um, and little did we know how crazy her birth and postpartum would be. Mm. Um, but 
I had a pretty normal pregnancy. I started getting a little bit of hypertension toward the end. Um, and then finally my doctor, I had an amazing doctor, but she was like, you know what? At 38 weeks, I'm kind of not liking how this is heading. Let's go ahead and talk about induction and see what you think. And I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. Um, and I'll be honest, I, especially for the line of work I'm in now, I did no research. I did like your typical childbirth education and that was it. <laughs> um, so I didn't really have any kind of idea what that meant um, or how that would impact me personally. But I went into my 38 week appointment. I had a reading of like 150s over 80s, um, which wasn't a consistent pressure that I had been having. Um, and she goes, you know what? I think we're just going to induce. How does tonight sound? And I'm like, tonight, what do you mean tonight? Like, like in eight hours tonight. <laughs> and so I did the typical, you know, you go in the night before they give you Cervidil. Um, of course they said, why don't you rest? Try to get some sleep. <laughs> no, there was, there was none of that. There was no rest, no sleep. Um, my husband got plenty of sleep, of course. Um, but they said, do you want like Unison or some Ambien or something like that? And I was like, I don't know. Is that safe? Because <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't, you don't really think Absolutely. about that kind of thing. And you're like, I don't even, I don't even know what that's going to do to me or if I'm going to be able to take it or what. Um, but I finally was able to get, I think I got like three hours of sleep that night, which the service bill did its job. And um, I was already one centimeter when I went in. Um, and then I thinned out to about 70 by 7 a.m. the next morning when my doctor came in and was like, all right, let's start you on pit. Um, which if I had done my research, I probably would have been like, can you like start it low and slow, please? But they cranked that puppy up quick. Um, I think by like units of two every hour, or 30 minutes or something like that. Um so I wasn't really feeling too much of my contractions. They said I had been having them, but I I was just like, I'm just cramping. These are just bad period cramps. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then by lunchtime, I was already at five centimeters, fully effaced, but I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't progressing like they had hoped. And they had had me turned up into the 20s on pit. Wow. So for anybody yeah. who doesn't know, Pitocin, you know, it goes in the IV makes your contractions um, a lot usually stronger and closer together, really commonly like that typical induction medication that you hear women want to avoid most of the time. Um, and 20 is normally the max. So some providers will go up to 30, but they normally want internal monitors and, you know, try not to. So you were on the, you know, the highest dose of Pitocin, not much further you can go from there. Um, and it is so common, you know, people are like, oh, I'm going to go be induced tonight. And they just think like, I'm going to go get medicine and it's going to work and I'm going to have a baby. That's not how right. inductions go. <laughs> no. And I had no, I mean, I was a first time mama. I knew yeah. that this was probably going to be a long process. My husband was like, so are we having a baby like tomorrow at lunch? Like, what are we doing? I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not probably not going to happen. But my doctor came in around lunchtime. And like I said, I was at five and fully effaced and they had cranked me way up on pit. So I was having really good contractions. Um, they had actually turned into coupling contractions at that point. And so I was kind of like, you know what? I'm done. I'm over it. It's good. I've had my experience. Um, my family, well, my mom and my dad had driven from Kentucky to Kansas. And so had my mother-in-law to be there. So they were all in the room. They were talking, having a great time. My husband was playing cards with his 
mom and I'm like I'm like over here having coupling contractions um and I had told my nurse because I I told her if I needed an epidural I was not afraid to get one um I was like I want to experience labor but when you see me at that point that you probably think I need an epidural which why would I put my that in the hands of someone else to decide yes right but I told her I said when you see me and you think "Mm, maybe she needs an epidural I want you to let me know (laughs) sounds so crazy thinking back on it like that but um so the nurse came in and um could visibly see that I was not okay at that point and she was like I think it might be time and I was like yep good let's get it going like I don't care let's do it um so she shooed everybody away and went and got my epidural um it didn't take that long normally you know they say it's probably gonna take about an hour for the anesthesiologist to get here and no that that person was there in like 20 minutes which was great (laughs) um so I got my epidural and things started to ease up a little bit um in terms of what I was feeling um however it didn't fully take so I was still feeling my contractions but the worst part was honestly that I could still feel my catheter. Mm. And for some reason, I wasn't feeling the contractions, but I was feeling the catheter. Um, and that was uncomfortable in every sense of the word. <laughs> um, so they finally, they gave me an extra little dose. And then I was able to get a little bit of sleep and things were good. And it probably took about an hour and a half, maybe two hours for me to get to complete. Um, so I went from five to 10 in a couple of hours once I had the epidural. Um, and they actually, I remember this so vividly, the nurse came in and she looked at my Pitocin because she was like, I think I'm going to turn you down. And she looked at it and she goes, why are you on 30? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Somebody just came in and turned it up every once in a while. Yeah. But so I was on 30 pit, which I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I got my epidural and finally working at least. And that was great. I was able to get a couple hours. I finally got to complete. Um, Within those two hours, my doctor came in and broke my water. Um, And had my daughter, let's see, got my epidural around 1.30, got to complete around 2, 2.30, and and then, yeah, so I started pushing. It only took about 30 minutes to push her out. I did have a pretty bad first-degree tear, um, so I had to get some stitches. And is this, this, is this all the afternoon after the evening you came in? Yep. So that's fairly, that's a quick induction. I mean, less anything less than 24 hours, I'm like, oh, that's that's quick. Yeah, yeah. It. So I went in at 8 o'clock, and I had her before? The following day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a speedy induction, I would say. Yeah. And I probably, cause they cranked me up to 30. Like <laughs> you never know. Yeah. They were like, but, we're getting this baby out. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I really didn't have like, I, it wasn't a traumatic birth. I didn't have issues. Baby was perfect the whole time. Um, even while I was in, in there, they were like, you're in here for hypertension right and I was like yeah and they're like your blood pressure is perfect Mm. and so you know you kind of go back and forth with that well would it have been fine if I just waited or whatever but 
I had my little girl at 38 weeks and she was seven pounds, four ounces at 38 weeks. So I'm kind of like, well, she would have just gotten bigger. So this works out great. <laughs> um, okay. So then how was like that postpartum period? It was actually pretty good for the first six to eight weeks. Cause okay. I had her middle of January, which middle of March is when COVID shut down the world and everything happened. Um, and I was very fortunate to have my mother with us in Kansas. Um, so she had, was recovering from hip replacement, hip mm. replacement. Yes. Hip replacement surgery. And she was still a couple months. I think she had like three months or something off work. And oh, wow. she was able to spend the last chunk with us with a new baby. So she was there. She was kind of like my postpartum doula. She yeah. did everything. And I got to really just soak in being a new mama and learning how to breastfeed, which was a trial in and of itself. And, but we made it and it, it was pretty good. I had a little bit of um, postpartum anxiety, but that got under control that I really didn't have any postpartum depression. It was, it was kind of like this one tricked us into the second. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's so funny because when you say like, I kind of have a little bit of postpartum anxiety, I feel like I'm trying, like, I don't want to normalize having anxiety postpartum or depression or having like any mood disorder postpartum. I don't want to say like, oh, that's normal. You just have to like deal with it and suffer because you don't. And there's definitely a point where like, it's not normal, but I will say like having postpartum anxiety to a small degree is definitely normal and really common. I, I mean, if you're a mom out there and you had a baby postpartum and didn't have anxiety, like, let me know your tricks because you're like a unicorn that doesn't happen. Um, and I think it's right. We have this vulnerable baby that we're all of a sudden responsible for. And every single mom like checks their breathing a hundred times a night and fears them dying in their sleep. Like we have these just crazy irrational fears. And I think part of it is probably postpartum and hormones, but the other part is just like loving something. And I've said this a million times on the podcast, I'm sure, but like loving something more than life itself puts Mm -hmm. you in a new level of anxiety for the next I would say 20 years, but it's probably like forever. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's what I've heard so many people be like, oh, you have this like worry for 18 years. And I'm like, oh, they're still my kid after 18. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be this way, even if I'm like in my 80s and they're however old they are. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's just part of it. Because I mean, my husband and I, I remember we left the hospital with our brand new baby and we were like, are they really letting us leave? Like, they're letting us leave with this, with this tiny little helpless thing. And, and they trust us. Like, what do you mean? We're just babies ourselves. That's so funny. That's so funny because I had my daughter at the hospital. I worked at as an LND nurse. And so everybody there was my coworkers. And when they discharged us, I remember joking and looking at them being like, y'all sure you really trust me to like, you guys know me. You sure you really trust me to take this baby home. Right. And I mean, I mean, my husband and I, we both grew up around kids. I mean, I have so many cousins and I've loved babies ever since I was able to hold a baby and he's one of four. So, I mean, we knew we'd be fine. Oh yeah. But at the same time, you're looking and you're like, this is mine. Like we made this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You know, you're capable. It's just like a, all of a sudden realization, like, holy crap. Like it's Mm -hmm. just going to be us. I mean, that feeling is, is so insane with your first especially when they send you home you're like I remember in the car ride home just being like 
oh my gosh, like we have to figure this out. Just us. We have to figure it out. Um, Okay. So then kind of segue into your second pregnancy and your second birth. What, you know, how did that unfold? What did you take from your first birth that really impacted maybe the route you took throughout your pregnancy and birth with your second as well? Yeah. So this may be a little bit of a plot twist, but it kind of, it, I don't want to say it negatively impacted my second, but I, I found myself going down the same rabbit hole, just if not more with my second, um, because I had started to, right after I had Sophia, I had started to kind of research what was missing from my, my birth, because I knew there was something that I was missing. However, I was like, your birth was fine. Like there was nothing wrong with it. Like, what are you trying to do? But I'm like, there's just something in me that's like, you're missing a piece. And so I was looking at that and that's when I learned about doulas and I was like, that's it. That's what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. So I started my training and everything in the middle of the pandemic, which was crazy. Um, But then about, well, in November, no, December of 2020, we found out we were pregnant with our second, um, which we had said we wanted them close together because my husband's a twin. So he's like, I loved having someone close in age. Um, So we knew we wanted that. um, And we found out Christmas actually right before Christmas. So I had to go through Christmas dinner with a lot of sickness. (laughs) And we were like, I'm only like, I'm six, seven weeks. Like I can't, we can't tell people yet. We can't tell people. And they're like, Darby's gone like a lot. Like, is she okay? What's wrong? (laughs) He was like, we have to tell him. Like, they think you just don't like the food. Like Uh we, we have to tell him. Um, but when I was pregnant with Silas, his pregnancy was just like Sophia's, um, different symptoms, but nothing totally crazy. Um, I did fail my gestational diabetes, the one hour screening with him. Um, and then they make you do the three hour. And so that one was fine. And I was like, yeah, there's something not right with that one either, but (laughs) But went through that and all the while I'm taking these doula classes because it's all online. I'm sitting in on every childbirth education thing that I can take. And I mean, there's something different when you are, I guess, giving advice or teaching someone else. It's so much harder for you to do it to yourself because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to be a doula. I can do this. Like, I don't need it. I don't need a doula for my you birth. Need, I'll yes, just do it myself. No, you cannot. <laughs> no, you cannot. And that was the main takeaway from my second birth, (laughs) but, um, but ended up, I started having higher blood pressure again, but at the same time I was dealing with, you know, like everyone else during COVID, a lot of anxiety just around the world. And I was overly checking my blood pressure at home because I knew what happened with my first. And so I was like, I'm going to check it every morning. I'm going to make sure it's okay. And if I had one slightly off reading, then I was like impulsively checking it, um, which just made it worse. And then I finally was talking to um, one of my mom friends and she was like, why don't you just hire a doula? And I was like, it's too late. I'm already 36 weeks. They don't, they won't take me. Cause I was thinking that it would be just like 
trying to take on a new client with a midwife or an OB or a DO like I had. And uh, they they were a mom a mama friend. They had babies around my kids, my daughter's age. So I was like, I'll just talk to you. It's fine. Um, so I actually had to be induced with my son as well because I had one reading at 37 weeks that was um, in the 180s over high 90s, which terrified the living daylights out of me um, because, you know, you read all the horror stories about preeclampsia and what can happen and what that looks like. And I was like, uh-uh, we're not, we're not going there. We're not doing that. Um, so I actually went into triage um, and they got that really high reading and they monitored me in triage for a while. They called my doctor, which she wasn't on call at that time, but she was sweet enough that she came in anyway. <laughs> um, and she was like, you know what? You have a history. I don't know what this is going to look like in two weeks or in a week if we hold off. And I was at that point, I was 36 and six. So she's like, you're at 37 tomorrow. How do you feel about just staying? And I mean, at that point, I was terrified because I had that reading. And even though it, it came down a little bit, it was still pretty high. And, you know, I could see the concern on their faces. And I was like, I, I, I don't know what decision to make here. So yeah, let's just do it. Whatever you say, let's do it. Um, so went ahead, got Cervidil. I was at 37 weeks. I was two centimeters, not really a base, but I was already two centimeters, which we know doesn't really mean anything. But at the time I was like, yeah, okay, great. This is going to be perfect. Um, but he, his labor was kind of the same as my daughter's. They broke my water, um, a little too early in my opinion, but, um, I labored to seven centimeters at that point. So I was like, I'm going to get farther. I'm going to still use the epidural as a tool, but I'm going to keep going and just see how far I can make it. Um, and I remember telling every nurse that came in, I'm training to be a doula. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, which it was not the case at all. I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing, <laughs> but I used more, um, more of my knowledge in yes. that, which, which made it a lot easier to go farther mm -hmm. and to really push my body. Um, but I was still lacking that, that support. Yeah. My husband was great. He was awesome, but bless his heart. And he'll, he'll be like, yeah, I, that's, that's not me. Um, he's not an emotional person. So I lacked that support. Yeah. Um, which next baby I have can be totally different. Yes. Yeah. That's not myself. <laughs> um, but his birth went just as quick, if not a little quicker than my daughter's. Um, and I did tear with him as well. It wasn't anything too crazy, but he came quick and fast. They cranked me up on pit just like they did before. Um, it was kind of like, you know, I think I've read this book before, like yeah. going back through the story. Um, but his birth, again, nothing really like chaotic. He never dipped it. He never had any D cells. Um, he was perfectly fine and he was tiny he was a 37 week baby so I was like oh my gosh this is even smaller than the last one oh um but 
they had prepared me for a NICU stay just in case because you know we know boys tend to develop a little slower in their lungs and he didn't have any issue he was breathing just fine his oxygen never dipped so they were like oh we'll watch him but he can stay with you so he didn't have to have a NICU stay which was great yeah um I would say the biggest difference was my postpartum with him versus my daughter. Um, I mean, obviously, because one, you have a toddler running around. Absolutely. Makes it so much harder. It does. And in the middle of my pregnancy, well, closer to the end of my pregnancy with him, we found out that my husband had gotten a promotion and we were moving back home, which was great. And we were so excited. Um, But that meant that we were moving and having a baby at the same time, <laughs> which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, um, my mother-in-law came this time. My mom, my mom was like, I'm not having another hip replacement, another joint surgery. Sorry. Like I can't can you hip replace so you can help me postpartum <laughs> while you recover from another hip replacement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so my mother-in-law came and she was like, you know, I'm going to help with things, but I'm going to help you pack because you're not going to be doing that. And so she was helping me pack um, and bless her heart. She was amazing. But at the same time, I was like, I didn't get that postpartum recovery because it was, you get home from the hospital and all of a sudden you got to go into move mode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have that. And I really didn't process any of my birth with my son until gosh until like three or four months later um which by then you know you have fleeting thoughts but you shove them down inside and you you're like I can't I can't think about that right now I'll think about it later and then later comes and everything comes flooding back and it's a whirlwind of emotions that you're not expecting because you're like no I dealt with it like it's fine we're not in that quote-unquote postpartum period right um but we moved and my husband got COVID and I had a new baby and a toddler and a new house that was in boxes. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I never went through my birth. Like mm-hmm. I never processed that. Um, so that was hard and that required a lot of inner work and a lot of prayer and a lot, a, a lot of medical intervention. Um, you know, those intrusive thoughts that you're like, oh my gosh, why, why am I thinking this? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, talking, I, I had my sister who was a lifesaver probably quite literally. Cause I was like, I, I don't know why I'm thinking that it's okay to just swerve into oncoming traffic. Like we don't talk about things like this. Like how many like weeks were you postpartum at this point when you started kind of having these, like these thoughts? it was probably like in the 12 to 16 week postpartum okay. period. Um, cause Silas was about three to four months old. Cause we had already moved and I called my sister. I remember calling her one night, like in the middle of the night. And I was just crying. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, I can't, I can't think about this. Like I'm terrified. Like why, why am I thinking things like this? And she goes, she's like, it's normal. It's something that happens. And she's like, I'm glad you're not, I'm glad you're telling me. I'm I'm glad you're not just trying to shove it in the back of your mind and be like, oh, I'll never do that. Right. Um, And, you know, went and talked to my brand new doctor who I'd never met, who didn't know my history. (laughs) 
And she was like, yeah, I think we're going to put you on something. And we tried it and it didn't work. If anything, it just made it worse. Mm. And so I went through like two or three different medications and I'm trying to nurse a newborn and, and it, it was rough. Um, but I had found some good community. Um, it just took about six months. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's like you get these, I don't even know what to characterize it as. Like, it's not necessarily postpartum anxiety and it's not necessarily postpartum depression. It's like these intrusive thoughts. It's a really, really good Mm -hmm. way to put it. And it's, like I said, it's different from just pure anxiety postpartum. And it's different from like depression where you like have no energy to get out of bed and stuff like that. It's just where you have these like super intrusive, like thoughts that you know, aren't fact, but they still come and, and they're really, really hard to fight. Um, and sometimes it's, it's even if you had a beautiful birth and you're having a beautiful postpartum period, like you can still experience these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure for you, a lot of it maybe was a little bit from your birth, but I'm sure a lot of it was the fact that like you picked up, you moved, you, you know, you had all these life changes while having all the hormonal changes and physical changes and all the things of postpartum all together. Um, and, uh, you're right. Like that's why I asked you the timeline because a lot of people also assume like, Oh, you know, those things happen within the first, you know, two months of birth, three months of birth. And then Mm -hmm. after that, I'm in the clear. And for a lot of women, that's not the case. You know, it happens months later. Um, and it's just so relatable to hear you say, because I even remember, like I had a little bit of anxiety, baby blues in the beginning. And then I felt really, really good. And then at like two and a half months, I had my first babysitter come over and I had her come over for two hours while I was home. And during that time I left to go on a walk like a 20 minute walk. And I kid you not the entire walk. I'm two and a half months postpartum feeling fine. The entire walk. This is so bad to say, and I hope this doesn't trigger anybody. Um, but I was having extremely intrusive thoughts, like to the extent of like, I'm going to, this is real life. What I was thinking. So I'm just being honest, skip through this part of it's going to trigger you. I kept having visualizations and like literal thoughts of like, I'm going to come home and she's going to have like hung my children off my stair balcony. Like who thinks that stuff? And she's like a fine, nice, like college age girl, super cute. Like, and the whole time I'm on my walk, like I start like sweating because I'm picturing this and running home. Okay. I'm two months postpartum and I'm like running back to my house because I'm having these thoughts that are like, so not true. Um, but it's really difficult to fight them. And of course I get home and my kids are fine. They're sitting in the playroom playing with her. And that was a moment for me where I was like, okay, this is not normal. I should not be having these thoughts. I should not be feeling like this. And to that extreme extent, and you're right, like talking to somebody, I didn't get on meds, but I did talk to people and admitted it and said it out loud, like the exact scenario, because that was really hard. I'm like, I can't tell people this. They're going to lock me up in an insane asylum. If I'm like, right, I left my kids for 20 minutes and I pictured them hanging off my balcony dead. Like you're crazy, Um, but you're not, you know, so talk to somebody, go go to your OB, you know, get the help that you need counseling therapy. I think just talking about it and somebody saying like, Hey, you're not insane, but you don't have to sit in this and and continue to feel like that is so important. So all that to say, girl, the intrusive thoughts, they hit me so hard with my second. And I felt like I was insane some days. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And I mean, if I didn't have, like, I truly cannot thank my sister enough for Mm -hmm. just listening to me and being like, you're not crazy. Like I've been there and just knowing that I'm not alone in that. Cause it's like when you're postpartum, especially 
in the middle of the night when baby's awake and you're like, I am the only person awake in the entire world. Like that feeling is so isolating, so so lonely. And it's like, just knowing that you're not alone, Mm -hmm. this helps in so many ways. And then knowing your resources or having someone that knows those resources that you trust, um, that can not necessarily keep you accountable, but can be like, Hey, here's this. Why don't you take a look at it? Let me know what you think. Like, that's huge. Yeah. With my first, I had my best friend who also had a baby and we were both up all night. So it was amazing. Mm -hmm. We would text each other all night long the isolation at night, like, oh my gosh, you are absolutely right. It is such a real thing. You really do feel like I'm the only person up right now. I'm tired. I can't even think straight. Like it's, it's really, really difficult. Um, and you're right. You know, you mentioned community resources, talking to somebody going cheer, you know, provider and getting medication. If you get to that point, the other thing I would say, and you know, this really helped me with my second was a postpartum doula or like Mm -hmm. a night doula, because those nights are isolating. And I just remember looking forward to the nights that I had a postpartum doula. I didn't do it with my daughter and it was so hard. And so with my son, I was like, I am going to budget for this. I'm going to save for it. Like I made it a point to do that before I even got pregnant. Like I am saving for this and I'm having a postpartum doula and it's money that was expensive, of course, um, to have somebody come spend the night at your house and take care of your baby so you can like sleep and rest. And they take care of you through the night too. But Mm -hmm. I needed that. And that was one of the best things I did because the nights that she would come, the weight off my chest of knowing like, I'm not alone tonight. And I had my husband and he was amazing, but my baby was breastfed and he could only do so much and he was working. Um, so the nights I would have her were just like, oh my God, I had somebody, she would sit and talk to me while I nursed and ask me how I've been doing and how, and it was just like a friend at four in the morning. Right. And that's something else I realized later on as well is like, nobody asked me how I was doing. Mm -hmm. Nobody asked me about my birth story. Nobody asked me to be like, how was the birth? They were all like, oh, the baby. How's the baby? How's the baby doing? Yeah. So it's like, I gosh, I never, I wrote my birth story with my daughter, which I would encourage anybody within the first four weeks, jot down notes. It doesn't have to be a well-written story, but write your birth story. Like, yeah, because the longer you wait, the more of those details you kind of like slowly either block out or just lose. Yeah. But I, I didn't even go through any of my birth story or think back on anything with my son until he was well over a year old. Mm. And then that's when things started coming back. And I was like, I don't know if I can call it birth trauma, but it's like, there was something missing from that, that gosh, I even to this day will be like, if I would have done this differently, would that have impacted how things went? Right. Cause it's like, I, I don't feel, and I mean, their trauma is different for everybody. Absolutely. Grief is different for everybody, but I wouldn't necessarily say that I had trauma in my birth. But I mean, it, I just, like I said, there's something that was just missing and it was a crucial part of my team, um, mm-hmm. which just propelled me even more so into birth work yeah. and being like, okay, that was dumb. Like what, what did I do to myself there? Um, but, and that's what I've been doing with my birth work for the last a little over a year. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you mainly do like birth doula? Do you do postpartum as well? Yeah. So I do birth doula and then I am a childbirth educator too. Okay. Um, so I am big on 
prenatal prep. Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> um, I'm like, look, I did not have that foundation. So I'm going to make sure every single woman out there has that foundation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, it's it's hard to build it in the heat of a moment in the yeah. middle of labor. Um, but yeah, so I do the birth part. Um, and I absolutely love it. It's such an adrenaline rush for me. <laughs> um, I've done 11 babies in the last year. So pretty wild. It's been a wild ride. That's awesome. That's so fun. And you said you're located right now in Kentucky, right? Yes. Central Kentucky. So the Lexington area. Okay. Got it. That's awesome. Well, um, I definitely can like link your website, Instagram, whatever you want. I'll put it in the show notes for anybody to be able to find you in case they're listening and they're in Kentucky and you're looking for a doula. Um, yeah. But this was amazing. I loved kind of hearing both your birth stories and you know, they did have a lot of similarities, um, between the mm -hmm. two of them. And just to hear how that's like really propelled you into doula work. I think it's such a beautiful thing when women go through birth and they experience it and either maybe they had a doula and it was just, they were like, Oh my God, how do people do this without? And so they become one or they didn't have a doula. And they're like, that was the piece that was missing from my birth. And mm -hmm. I want to make sure that every other, no other woman has to have give birth without having that support. Um, right. It's just, it's such a, it makes the work so much more meaningful and so much more special. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I also, um, I contract out with a nonprofit that helps provide birth support, um, no matter what your Able financial status is, yeah. nothing. Um, so I work with them. And so I work with clients of all socioeconomic statuses yeah. and it's so great because people think, oh, having a doula is a luxury. And it I'm should like, never it be. It doesn't have to be. Like, there's no reason that that should be what holds you back from having essential care. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I look forward to the day where all insurances are going to yes. pay for doulas <laughs> and pay for what they're worth, you know, mm -hmm. not pay a doula a couple hundred bucks. You know, it's a lot of work. We're up in the middle of the night, sometimes for 14 hours straight, 20 hours straight. Um, so I look forward to the day where, um, you know, it is, you're right. It is a part of essential care. It's treated just like, you know, you don't have to go and pay a bunch of money out of pocket to have a OB or a midwife at your birth. That's, that's considered right. essential to have a provider to help, you know, bring your baby earth side. Um, and I think a doula should be no different An essential part of the birth team. That is no, no, not negotiable, not something you have to pay out of pocket for. Um, I really, really. I hope that that day comes because it should well, never, amen, sister. <laughs> it should never be a luxury. I agree. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your story. Like I said, I will link um, either your Instagram or website in the show notes for anybody who wants to be able to find you or connect with you. And I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It's such an honor. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.